We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 3 this morning. If you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, go ahead and be turning over there. Okay, Easter Sunday morning, 1995. How many of you were not even born at that time? Yeah. <laughs> so Easter Sunday morning, 1995, I was the associate pastor at a church, and the lead pastor was out of town, so I was getting my first opportunity to ever speak on an Easter Sunday morning. And during that time, I didn't get a lot of opportunities to speak at all on Sunday, so I was doubly excited. I was getting to preach on Sunday mornings, and it was Easter. However, there were uh, some things going on in the church at the time. There were some, some malcontents, we'll just say it that way, and they had been spreading some rumors and uh, just wasn't good. So, in all of my wisdom, and even though it was uh, Easter Sunday morning, and the congregation was full, and we had lots of guests, and the ladies were all there in their, their new dresses, I felt that it was my duty to address these issues from the platform, because who knew when I was going to get another time to speak on a Sunday morning. So my very first Easter message, the title of that message was, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. <laughs> and it went over about like that too. I use Numbers chapter 16 as my text, and that is the story of uh, Korah and his group rebelling against Moses and the ground opening up and swallowing all the rebels. So I basically told everybody, you know, if, if, uh, if you're not in with what we're doing right here, you're in rebellion and your sin is swallowing you up so you might as well head for the exit. And as you do, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> the, uh, the leadership actually came up and patted me on the back and told me, you did a good job, man. You were so bold to, to bring that message. I'm like, okay, yeah. Pastor came back and he said, man, you stood up like a man of God and uh, you ran the devil out of this place. Yeah. But you know what the problem was? There was no love in it. There was no compassion in it. There was no mercy in it. There was no heart of unity in it. And there definitely was no desire for reconciliation in it. And I've come to understand over the years that even though I felt at the moment that I was being led by the Spirit of God, I was not. In fact, I was being led by my feelings, my emotions, and what I thought was right. In other words, I was being led by my soul. So we could say that I was being uh, soul-fed instead of spirit-led. Now, every once in a while, 
just during the year, you know, we get an opportunity to, to bring a, a lesson that is not within a, a sermon series. And when I get that opportunity, I like to just talk about what the Lord is currently ministering to me, talking to me about. So that's what I want to do this morning. Um, in 1995, I was young, I was passionate, I was zealous, but I was completely without wisdom and understanding. Now, I have grown since then, hopefully, I have grown since then, grown spiritually, we know that I've grown this way, right? My, my, my girth has grown, my, the units, the girth units that you would uh, uh, wrap around me there, I, I have grown. But hopefully I've spiritually grown sir, during this time. And recently I've started asking the Lord and really praying, Lord, am I being spirit-led or am I being soul-led? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and this is out of the Passion Translation, says, For we have the living Word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. The English Standard Version says that the Word of God divides between soul and spirit. So we need to understand that where the soul and the spirit meet, that's where our thoughts and our motives will be revealed. And I want to be pressing into what the Spirit says and not what my thinking, my emotions, what they say. And it's not that we're supposed to stop thinking. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the truth is that um, the more that we walk with the Lord... Anybody remember when you first got saved? Man, there was a whole list of things that, I need to stop doing this. I need to work on this. I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. And just over time, walking with the Lord, got a lot of freedom, stopped doing a lot of things. So even my soul seemed cleaned up. My, my mind and my emotions seemed cleaned up. But sometimes we, we can still fall into a place because we're good Christian people, that we're making a good decision out of our soul instead of a God decision that's led by the Spirit. All right, so what I want to show you this morning is, is just a, a few examples of this. Let me throw this in here real quick. So we, we, we just read the scripture out of, out of Hebrews chapter 4. And it says soul and spirit, just so you'll understand exactly where we're going with this. That Greek word soul right there is psyche. Psyche, which refers to the mental, rational, or emotional part of our being. And the word spirit is pneuma, which means breath or wind. But it is the word that is always connected 
when we see in Scripture, Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy breath, a holy wind. So when we're reading right here and we're talking about the word of God, we're not just talking about the Bible. Of course, we are talking about the Bible, but we're also talking about as we interact with the spirit of the Lord, that it is alive. When we interact with the word of God, the word that he has written for us, the word that he is speaking to us, interacting with Jesus. Because John chapter one says Jesus was the word, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So as we are interacting in these areas, it says that our psyche and our pneuma will even be separated so we can understand the thoughts and the motivations of why we do certain things. So I want to give you just a few examples here. And the first example is out of Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And this is the serpent here speaking to Eve as he's tempting her. And we all know that the serpent's the devil, right? Just making sure. Just making sure that we're all on the same page together. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. For God knows when you eat, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was desired to make one wise. Let me stop right there for just a second. Leave the scripture up there because I'm going to finish it. Listen to this again. She saw that it was good for food. Is food good? Is food good? I, I can almost guarantee you everybody ate something before you came this morning, right? Food is good. Or you're going to leave after the service today and you're going to get something to eat. Why? Because food is good. So she saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was delightful to look at. Are delightful things okay? Is it okay to look at a delightful thing? I look at my wife all the time. She is a delight to look at. Sometimes I just stare at her. Why? Because she is delightful to look. So it's okay to be delightful to look at. And it's also okay to be wise, isn't it? See, we've heard sermons over the years of what a horrible person Eve must have been. But the thing is, everything she saw was good. You got that? Everything that she was tempted with was good. So, finishing the scripture here, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband. Why? Because she thought it was good. It's not this horrible, rebellious heart that we always have to deal with. Sometimes we're looking at and going after something that is good when God's got great waiting on us. Knowledge is good. It looked good. And it made the promise of being more like God. That's what we talk about all the time, don't we? Let's be more like Jesus. Let's be more like Jesus. Well, what looked good and sounded good was a disaster because it was a soul decision, not a spirit-led decision. And sometimes we can be 
We, we can go after what is good, but we're making soul decisions. Cars, houses, business dealings, relationships may look good, but good, listen to me, good isn't always God. Thoughts and attitudes may seem godly, but they may actually be religious. So we need to watch out. Just as very weak. Pastor Sam and I were having a conversation, and we were talking about a mutual friend. And this mutual friend had bought something, and this something was quite extravagant. And I started to say something. This is what I was going to say. What I was going to say was, well, you know, I don't have that kind of money, but if I did, I would hope that I would use it for the betterment of the whole world and, you know, something, something really, really wise and holy like that. So I started to say something. This started coming out of my mouth. Well, I don't have that kind of money, but if I did, I would hope. And right at that moment, the Spirit of God spoke up and said, yeah, Judah said that same thing. And in the mid-sentence, I went, okay, Lord, shut up. And I really meant for me to shut up, but it sounded like I was telling the Lord to shut up. But it just, boom, it just hit me. What I was saying sounded wise. It may have even sounded holy. But the truth was that it was coming out of my psyche, my natural thinking, and not from God. So here's the second example I want to show you. If you got your Bible, just flip over a chapter to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought from the firstborn of his flocks and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So why did the Lord accept one and not the other? I've heard, you know, I've heard several sermons um, on this scripture, and I don't think any of them agreed. <laughs> Different things were said. So I'm going to give you my interpretation. Is that okay? As I read it, this, this is what I read and this is what I hear. So why did the Lord accept one and not accept the other? So it says, at a time, at a time, when Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord. So I believe this was a time that they were doing this at the same time. They were doing it at the same time. But... Crops are harvested and flocks are born at different times of the year. Abel brought the firstborn. He brought the firstborn. When they were born, he brought the firstborn. This wasn't months and years later and he goes, well, I'll take that one and that one's kind of messed up and we'll bring this all over here. He brought the firstborn. Born. So if Abel is bringing the firstborn of the flocks, we've got to be looking at sometime in, in the spring when, when sheep give birth, right? But Cain was bringing of the harvest. When is the harvest? In the fall, right? So we're talking six months after he had harvested. Abel is bringing the first fruit. Cain is bringing his leftovers. 
You see that? We think sometimes that God is happy with whatever leftovers that we want to give him. But he wants the best so he can bless the rest. He wants the best so he can bless the rest. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about our time, our heart. God wants the best so he can bless the rest. See, Cain had decided that he could give to God whatever or whenever he wanted to, and it would be okay. But God said, no, don't do it that way. Look at this. God did not reject Cain. It does not say that God rejected Cain. It said that he rejected the offering. What was God doing? He was saying, there's a better way to do this. Let me show you how to do this. But Cain got upset instead. So when we give, when we serve, when we do whatever it is for the Lord, we need to be led by the Spirit. Because he may not want it done the way that we think it should be done. And the way he asks us to do it may not always be comfortable. All right? You know, a long time before Lisa and I were, were ever youth pastors here at New Covenant, before you know, I was ever the executive pastor, and many, many moons before the thought ever came that I would be the lead pastor, the first place in the church that we served was cleaning the church. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that, that, that sometimes we think that, oh, it's got to be this way. It's got to be done this way. You know, I'm called to do this. I'm called to do that. Great. And maybe you are. And if you are, we want to see you doing that. But quite often, God will say, take the low road. Do it this way first. Because if I can not just have your talent, but I can... I can have your heart. I can have your attitude. And if God has our attitude, we're going to go somewhere with him. So, he didn't ask our opinion. He just told us to do it. We don't give and serve by our own decisions. We do it according to the word of the Lord. Now, listen to this. When we have control of how we give and how we serve, it's not an offering. It's gratuity. We're tipping God. Here you go, God. Thanks. So we've got to do what we do with our hands open, listening. Here's the ultimate example. Of course, the ultimate example is always going to be Jesus, right? John 5, 19 So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. If Jesus could do nothing on his own, what makes us think that we can Are we making it a priority to see what the Father is doing? And if seeing what the Father is doing is not a priority in our lives, other people's opinions and expectations will be. 
We can't allow what other people may or may not have done, what they may have said or didn't say, or just whatever we're feeling in the moment, to be a louder voice than the voice of the Spirit in our lives. Now, is it good to have somebody's opinion on something? Sure. Sure. You got a big decision to make? It's good to have somebody's opinion on that. But we should have godly people in our lives who are allowed to speak into our lives. Not just those that are in our clique. Because in our clique, everybody usually agrees with us anyway, right? They're going to see it the same way we see it anyway. Can you have a godly conversation and a godly relationship with somebody that might see things different than you? I don't want everybody agreeing with me. When, when, when uh, we're looking at staffing positions, I don't want people who are just going to say yes. I don't need somebody that thinks just like I think. Now, there's, there, there's nothing wrong with somebody agreeing with me. There, there are people in the church that I sit and we talk and we agree about everything together. It sounds good. And if I could just get the whole church to do that, Lord. But I've got these other wonderful people around me. Not only do they know me, but they know the situation, and they can speak, speak into the situation. I've got a wonderful relationship with Pastor Sam over here, and we don't always see everything just eye to eye because we're different people, but you know what? He has a very special place in my life where he can speak into anything, and he can question anything, and it doesn't offend me when he does it. My wife is the same way. Many of the dumb things that I would have done in life were avoided. Why? Because she had a different opinion than I had. And that's what we have to understand, that even if I believe the Spirit of God is leading me to do this, if there's somebody that I trust in my life and they have a different opinion, I need to slow down because one of us is wrong. And it just might be me. Because here's the thing, I will have a hundred ideas a week. Maybe one of them is God. Maybe one of them is God. And we have to weed through all of that. But when you have people that will speak into your lives, slow down and let God confirm what he wants to confirm. Also talking about the expectations of others. People will expect you to do it the way that they would do it. But when it comes down to it, were you called to do it or were they called to do it? So we need to be in a place where we are pleasing God, not pleasing man. And hopefully when we're pleasing God, it will please most of the people. But there are always going to be some people that are not going to be pleased. I read a book that says one in ten people don't like you. If one in 10 people don't like us, we have to understand that we're not going to be able to grow beyond our, our pain threshold. If I can't handle one person not liking me, and, but there's nine that, that do, what am I going to do with 10 people that don't like me when there's 100 that do? And it's not that, that we just go, well, these people are just wrong. They're of the devil. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. No, we press into this over here too because that's what the Spirit of God would do reconciliation, what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their life. Why does this person have issues with me? 
Is it just me or is it something going on in their life? Do you ever get around people and you go, man, something's just wrong with that person, so you just cut them off? That's not a godly heart or godly attitude. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Let's redeem them. So, since we don't like people putting false expectations on us, let's not do it to them. Okay? Let's not do it to them. There was a, uh, a time where Jesus and the disciples were ministering in a, a, a village, and great things were happening, but Jesus decided he needed to go out and spend some time with the Father, needed to go out and spend some time and pray, needed to go, no, go get some rest. And he'd obviously been gone too long because the people were clamoring for him. And, people, and Peter went and found him. And he said, hey, Jesus, uh, the people back in town, they want you. Why don't you come on back into town and, and do what you've been doing? But Jesus had been with the Father. And his response was, I got to go to other places. The expectations of the people did not move Jesus. He said, I've got to go over here and do this. The only expectation that he was moved with was the expectation of the Father. But unfortunately, this one is the one where we usually miss it. Doing whatever we feel is right. I'm feeling it. We get in and out of relationships because it feels right. You know, our soul says that we need companionship and love when the Spirit is saying, let me teach you about love before you start making a mess with somebody else. And this one, I'm going to be real honest with you, and I'm just meddling. Yes, I am absolutely meddling right now. I've seen so many people, not just here, but really all over, They'll come to a church and they'll say, God is planting me here. This is where God wants me. God has told me this is where I'm supposed to be. But because of some unfulfilled expectations, maybe the pastor didn't spend enough time with you. I don't know. Maybe you got your feelings hurt about something. Suddenly where God had told them to be, they're not at So when did God change his mind? Let's just be honest. If God has told you to be somewhere and you are not there, you are in disobedience. Okay? I know that one is like... Because here, here's the thing. God's probably trying to work on something in your heart. Because every church has got issues. Every church has got issues. I mean, this church's biggest issue is talking to you right now. The Lord is working on something in our heart. And even though we go into a situation and it seems really good at first, you know, oh, they worship so well. I love the kids' ministry. You know, I get to serve whatever it might be. We love it for the moment, but then that old thing that God has been wanting to work on us for a while, it starts to raise up again. And let me just be honest with you. You can go to another church, whether New Covenant or any place. I'm, I'm not even making this here. I, I promise you, I've seen this all across the, play, uh, the world, really. You can go someplace else, but you're going to be there. 
And that same issue that God wants to deal with is just going to jump up again. Started over here when you were with this ministry or this church and you know, I got to get out of here. And you come over here and it happens again. And you come over here and it happens again. And I'm not going to move again because I'll probably step out of the, the shot. But then sometimes we go, well, I'm just giving up on church. Instead of I'm giving up on having to have it my way and I'm going to get free from this. I'm going to let God heal me so he can use me. I run into people almost every day who are outside of church fellowship. And, and look, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. We know that. It's a relationship with Jesus. But being in church helps us be the best that we can be because we get around people. If I say, I'm not having any fellowship with anybody because everywhere I go, I just get hurt. Or everywhere I go, they're just all a bunch of hypocrites. It's all this. It's all that. And it's just going to be me. Well, guess what? Now only you are speaking into you. Do you, do you understand my heart in, in, in saying those things? Because I'm saying it in love. I'm saying it in compassion. I'm saying it in, in a heart for redemption. This has nothing to do with 25 years ago. You understand that? 25 years ago, I was full of myself. Hopefully, I'm a bit more full of God now. So let's finish up here. Hebrews 3. Back to Hebrews. Hebrews 3. Verse 12, and I'm reading this. This last scripture is going to be out of the Passion Translation as well. So search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you, for it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. Living a life uh, directed by our soul or our psyche instead of a life directed by the Spirit of God, will lead us astray. We will become unresponsive to God in the areas that we don't allow Him to lead us. You hear that? Because we've all got stuff hiding in us. There's always something that God wants to set us free from. There's always another step in our relationship with God and in our freedom in Christ. But if we don't allow him to lead in those areas, we're going to find ourselves being unresponsive to him. We begin to assume what God wants, how he thinks, or how he would lead us, and we find ourselves pursuing good instead of God. 2001, I was doing media production, and we were... Uh, working on a project for a large uh, nonprofit here in town. And over the weeks that we were working with them, you know, I, got to, I got to know some of the, the leadership, at, at least on surface level, and talk to them about some things. And we were talking about church one morning. And Lisa and I happened to be looking for a church at the time. So I'm having this conversation with some of the, the, the leadership at, at this nonprofit, and I told them that, that, you know, I used to be on staff at, at a certain church. And sometimes later, one of, one of the uh, lower management guys pulled me aside and he goes, hey, you went to that church? I went, yeah, I went to that church. And he goes, you know what? I visited that church once on an Easter Sunday morning. But here's what he said. 
He said there was a young fireball preacher in the, in the pulpit that morning. He was calling out sin in the camp. He said, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. And I just cringed. You know, I didn't jump up and go, that was me. <laughs> I just cringed because, man, this guy was super critical. This guy was hyper-religious. This guy was, was really, really convinced that he knew everything. <laughs> and I had watched him over the, the couple of weeks that I'd been there, and he was always griping. He was always talking down about his senior leadership. He's talking to me about their problems, and I don't even know the guy. Yet, this is the guy who's telling me that he loved the way that I handled a church situation. Man, I'm telling you, it was like God just put me over his knee and went, whack, 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 whack. Because I realized in that moment, although I had already begun to realize it, but I realized in that moment how far away from really hearing the Spirit of God that I had been. I realized that I wasn't being led by God, but instead that I was really just a novice in a, in a leadership position and I was acting out of an unsanctified soul. So we need to search our hearts and do it continually and honestly. We've gotta be open and raw about what's going on I've got stuff hiding in me, but I want it exposed. I want to deal with it. I don't want to be led astray by my own feelings, my own thoughts, my own soul. I don't want to be deceived into believing that a good decision is nothing but utter garbage compared to a God decision. So I want to be spirit-led, not just soul-fed.